Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Alcaraz stays on course for a sunshine double. Rabakina could be set for another Sabalenka showdown. And Del Potro eyes a comeback at the US Open. Kim, Chris, today is the 29th of March and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are in the Miami Open. We are in the second half of the Sunshine Double. And I've got to say, guys, it's been a a messy and a mad Miami Open for me so far. We are at the quarterfinal stages, but there's been shocks. There's been rain. And I mean, still, I feel miraculously, we still could get the Indian Wells finals on both the men and women's sides in Miami because we still have Alcaraz and Medvedev in the draw, Rabakina and Sabalenka in the draw. So it's still all to play for. So it's all very exciting. But I obviously got to say the most exciting thing from your perspective, surely, is having me back on the show. Joel, we are thrilled to have you back. (laughs) Welcome back. I assume you've fully recovered or you still Yeah, give still us a health up, update. <laughs> How's your head? Yes. No, yes. Uh, look, guys, I'm all fine. I was really excited about the victories for Casper Ruud and Caroline Garcia in Indian Wells. So all is fine with my head. Yes, um, there's been no sense. memory oh, loss. Yeah. No yeah. screens allowed. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, it's been it's been great. Um, yeah, thanks a little shout out last week. Um, but yeah, all good to go now. And yeah, I had my birthday celebrations as well. Um, as you correctly said, I did have a few too many woo-woos um down on down on the coast in kent in margate but uh all, all the better for it what was in a woo-woo that, that was our big question her. joel do we know i still don't really know i think it's prosecco orange and tropical juice maybe i I'm, I'm getting juice. i've already got it wrong i feel okay i've already got Not it wrong fruit, to me though it just tastes like alcoholic fanta fruit twist that's that that's what lovely. it means to me Goes down very nicely. Well, Joel, where, where are your woo-woos to blame for your terrible prediction with putting <laughs> well, Zverev know, in you, you are itching. You are itching to get on that, aren't you? With it was the, uh, the Zverev. I know in hindsight it did seem a bit silly. Alcaraz's quarter. Look, I know there is some suspicion there, and I think maybe the woo-woos were to blame for what seems to be a very rogue prediction. I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest, with Zverev um, in the semi-finals. I know our list is probably kind of perplexed, equally perplexed as well. And uh, yeah, on hindsight, yeah, not my best, not my best pick. Well, one thing that's got a few of us perplexed this week um, 
is something that's come out on social media. Chris, I know we were talking about this before uh, starting to, to record today. Concerns Roger Federer and, and a film that's coming out. Yes. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this? <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, I'm kind of on a similar sort of thing. There's um, a very odd thing appeared on our social media, which was um, a new docu-film. Um, which will be coming out on YouTube <laughs> called "The Ride of a Lifetime," and the the, uh, the the sort of second line of this is the Grand Train Tour of Switzerland, and this is starring Roger Federer and Trevor Noah. So this is um, a partnership that we didn't know that we needed, but I'm not mad at. But I'm just a bit <laughs> confused how a ride on a a Swiss train would be the ride of a lifetime. I think they're probably quite calm and run to time, but. Um, I did find out a few interesting things about this, that this docufilm not only will be, I'm um, sure, very popular for the Swiss tourist board, um, but the director is the same director as Cats, that wonderful box office flop. So I'm hoping there's some animation involved. Awesome Andrew Lloyd Webber music. Maybe perhaps. they'll break into song. <laughs> that would be quite something in the hills. I'm looking at the promotional poster and I, and I, I feel like that is buried away somewhere and, and rightfully so i actually went to see that film with my with my mum um <laughs> and and i i gen you know there are not many times where i i feel like i want to walk out of a cinema but watching cats the musical uh yes that was definitely one of those times i mean it definitely wasn't that too positive an experience that one but i reckon <laughs> that with this one there's one bit of trivia that i want to get out that i found particularly interesting was that um they both have um, a South African mother and a Swiss father. Who knew? Oh, that okay. is true. I was wondering about the South African connection, but I didn't know Trevor Noah's mother was Swiss. So that's that's an interesting mm. one. But I am curious as to see if, I don't know, is Roger Federer becoming the, the new Michael Portillo and, and going around trains? <laughs> in Maybe we put him on a canal and... boat next, you know? He could join <laughs> yeah. that one. Well, well, hang on. We did have, do you remember, we did have the Fed Express, didn't we? In, in we did. Basel. In Basel, I, yeah. Yeah, so maybe he's he's sort of branching out and he's taking the, the Fed Express into more rural, scenic, mountainous locations. Um, yeah, with uh, this, this docu-film. But um, yeah, we'll have to have to see how it goes. I'm, I'm curious. Out tomorrow. First, from tomorrow, mm. you can watch it on YouTube, everybody. <laughs> Ooh, excellent. Might do that for my commute into work tomorrow. We'll report back next week. Yeah, full, full roundup of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, talking of celebrities and tennis, um, one of my sort of fun fun bits of this week was finding out that Cam Norrie um, has played tennis with John Bon Jovi, um, <laughs> which I thought was quite an unlikely partnership as well. That is unlikely. Not to mention Federer and, and Trevor Noah. But yeah, apparently um, Norrie... It was invited to to go to Bon Jovi's home in in Palm Beach to have a bit of a hit, and then uh, Bon Jovi went off to the tennis to watch him practice. Um, mm. And I thought oh, that's that sounds quite random, um, but I think it's because Norrie's girlfriend has connections to the to the oh, family. To the bon I was going to ask, do you think he was the top choice? Do you think that he started at the number one seed and got to number nine? <laughs> Yeah, he was like, oh, that this guy will do. Yeah, um, I don't know. But I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Cam Norrie is going to, you know, find himself at a, a Bon Jovi rock concert or in the higher echelons of some kind of, yeah, rock rock hall of fame at some point. But um, it didn't help him on the court this week, Kim, did it? Needs a better hitting partner than John Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me also of 
Carolina Mukova, isn't she mates of Rebel Wilson, which is quite random. So oh, I just don't know how they meet each other. Yeah, I'm not sure how they met, but um, there is definitely something. They're, they're definitely friends because she was spotted at, at Wimbledon watching her. But um, yeah, that was kind of my like fun fun bit for the week. Um, Joel, have you got a celebrity uh, linkage for us? Or are you going to, you got another highlight on your first week back for, for a while? Yeah, not not so much a, a celebrity highlight, but a highlight for the podcast. Um, listeners, we have been nominated for Best Tennis Podcast by the Sports Podcast Awards. We've made the shortlist and now uh, it is time for our listeners hopefully to do their bit because in order for us to win best tennis podcast at the sports podcast awards we need your help we need you to register and vote for tennis weekly for best tennis podcasts by the 6th of april um it would really mean a lot to the team to myself to kim and chris we put so much effort into the show so if you really really enjoy us and you want to kind of show your support um this would really mean a lot to us we're going to put the link in the description so all you've got to do is just click that link take you through to a page and then click vote um for tennis weekly um on the best tennis podcast page but yeah really 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 exciting news we made the shortlist last year so we're hoping hoping to do one better this year so um if you could vote for us that would be uh yeah really really um really really well appreciated yeah we we'd be very grateful and did you have to do your best um, loser's face last year? Did you have to clap along? And, and... <laughs> well, it, do you know what? It was virtual. It was virtual last year. And um, it was just quite funny because I remember they got like a rugby, a former rugby player to, to host the the awards. And just hearing, a, a, well, a celebrity in his own right, James Haskell, which is a former England player, just say the name of the podcast just just made me smile a little bit. So, um, yeah, that was, I feel like that was enough for us last year. But yeah, genuinely this year, we we would love to to go one step further so listeners if you want to help the show out and uh, you want to make us best tennis podcast then please register and vote uh, with the link that I'm going to share in the description well let's take a look at the tennis uh, and we'll start on the women's side because uh, Joel I'm, I'm afraid your intro is already proving out of date <laughs> because Sabalenka's actually just lost uh, live update yeah she's lost in straight sets to Serana Castella in the quarterfinals so we definitely won't be seeing a repeat of the Indian Wells final with her and Rabakina um, I mean great great week for Castella she's beaten Mukova already Caroline Garcia already uh still yet to drop a set this tournament so a, a, a big scalp uh for for Kostea mm. to, to come through against Sabalenka um Sabalenka had of course been looking pretty good uh hadn't dropped a set so far had, had beaten Krachikova quite comfortably so uh, Chris are you surprised by this result seeing Kostea take out Sabalenka in straights I definitely didn't think that was going to happen when I saw that I thought that um I mean I thought the Sabalenka would come through. She had such a great result against Krajikova, a player who she's had some really difficult encounters with so far this season. Um, coming through that one, uh, three and two, kind of making short work of um, the check in that one. But Kristea, you know, she does love a fast ball. She really likes to to handle the pace. And, you know, the players that she's beaten just shows you that she can um, she can really, really play well. And when she's on, she's on. She's always been a bit like that. Um I just think that she kind of came out of nowhere, this sunshine double, 
because she was down at sort of 80, I think 83 in the rankings um, before Indian Wells. And now I think in the live rankings, she's all the way up to 41. And that's not a bad couple of couple of weeks work. So that is a surprise. And you have to say, if she's in the semifinals, who's to say she can't keep going? Yeah, she feels to me like a player who is unseeded, but is dangerously like unseeded in a draw and can was sort of aware that she can, I think, have these upsets around seeded players. I am still a little bit surprised because, you know, Miami is a, a fast court and I thought I would have played very much into kind of Sabalenka's power game. But having said that, Castella also, I feel like, has some very big weapons on her. I actually think her game is not too dissimilar to like a little bit like Caroline Garcia in terms of you know big serve good ground strokes particularly on her forehand side and yeah she just seems to be putting it together this week I think what's so amazing about it is you know the longevity of of her career and how you know I think she burst onto the scene you know in the late 2000s you know 2008 2009 players around her like Wozniacki I think Kvitova as well and she really I think did burst onto the scene but did get stuck in the doldrums I think with her ranking and um, you know wasn't able to progress so it's great to see her kind of I feel like rediscover the form that she burst onto the scene with. 2009 that was that quarterfinal I remember yeah that she had at the French Open and then I almost since forget then... she got to a, a Grand Slam quarterfinal because she's been, I feel like, an unseeded player for like for so long. When you see her name, I think, pop up in the in the draws. And it feels like she causes a couple of upsets in the early rounds, but Lee doesn't follow it through into the later rounds. But yeah, mm. 2009 um, was when she really Maybe this will be her... Maybe this will be her, her crowning moment. Uh, you know, mm. sometimes players have been around for a long time and they do suddenly all manage to finally put it together in a tournament. And uh, you never know. She's only got two more wins um, till she gets there. But Chris, you mentioned that Sabalenka had beaten Krachikova uh, in, in the round before. And, and this brings us on to you some comments that Krachikova made about... Um, the fact that she feels forgotten and somewhat overlooked on the tour. Um, and she feels that a lot of the conversation surrounds the likes of Iga Sviontek, Arena Sabalenka and, and Elena Rabakina at the moment um, as being the sort of the leading players of the tour. And she feels like she's sort of being snubbed um, despite the fact that she, you know, she won the Dubai tournament and she has, has had some big wins herself, um, you know, and has, has a, I think, you know, some good wins over, over Sviontek. Uh, what, what's your opinion as, a, as an ardent fan of the WTA tour? What do you make of Kutrykova's comments? Because I think, well, I think you're quite a fan of, of Kutrykova as well, aren't you? So do you think she's got a point here? Well, I think we are a little bit guilty of this as well. I think we were sort of talking about it as mm. maybe it was a big three. And I think we should definitely have her in that conversation. I think it is unfortunate that obviously she did then lose quite handily to Sabalenka immediately mm. after making those comments. But I mean, if you look at the results over the last few years, she's been very consistent at the top of the game. Um, and I think when you look at kind of the... Um, tournament win side of things it's only actually Iga and Sabalenka who've won more titles than her um, they've won uh, 12 and 7 um, and, and since 2020 has won 6 so she's been very much up there um, in the top 3 she's been ranked as high as number 2 and this season she's actually won the bigger title than Iga has so I think if we're, we're talking sort of big 3 we should be talking big 4 in that sense um, but then I do think you get into the question of where do we see it in terms of, you know, a, 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 a Jesse Pagula versus a, a Kajika in that conversation. But 
adding in, I'd say, the double side of things. I think we should, we should all be talking about Kujika for more, is what I would say personally. Is that not part of her beauty in a way, though, that she is under sort of the radar? Under, yeah, and I feel Hiding like she's kind of a stealth, stealth mm. player, yeah. And therefore, if I was her, I'd, I'd kind of prefer that because I would have less pressure and expectation on me. Yeah, I, I, I personally don't still see her as as part of the the big three. I still firmly, for me personally, I still firmly see that as like Sabalenka, Rabakina, and and Shviontek. And um, I think it was unfortunate that, you know, she didn't ultimately, I feel, back up her comments, um, you know, in this match against Sabalenka. It it was so routine. It was a bit kind of almost strange to kind of look back on those comments and think, hey, you want to talk about the fact that, you know, this is providing you with extra motivation, you know, wanting to be part of the conversation. Well, I feel like you've got to back them up on the tennis court and, she failed to do that and you know I know you speak about the the doubles side of it and yes I feel like we we've got to appreciate how much Kachikova has achieved in terms of success on on the doubles court but I do wonder again come back to you know this age-old debate on does she fully focus on on singles and forget doubles I feel like don't know if I can have a big three player in there who maybe isn't as kind of 100% committed into the singles as players like Sabalenka, Rabakina and Shmiontek are. You're discounting Pagula then as well. She's a big doubles player. I would discount Pagula more on on her Grand Slam prowess at the moment. I mean, very, very consistent player. Arguably the most consistent player, I think, on on the tour at the moment. But you look at her Grand Slam record against the others... I don't think she's gone past a quarterfinal yet. She's been to the quarterfinal quite a few times. So there still seems to be that, that stumbling block for her. I think the same could be said, though, for Kajikova since that Grand Slam win in 2021. She also hasn't been past a quarterfinal, whereas all mm. the other players that we're talking yeah. about have either won a slam, um, won multiple slams or reached multiple semifinals. So I think it's about still being in those tournaments in the latter stages when picking up a 1,000 is obviously a great achievement. But... You need to be in the business end regularly of the slam. So I probably would agree with you, but I still think we should talk about her a little bit more. Do you think the WTA are looking at this and thinking this is a marketing opportunity that has come from the players? Because I feel like the first time around it happened with you know, the ATP. It was a thing that they made and then it cottoned on. Do you expect to see kind of this big three talk manifests itself into something that we're going to see properly on in terms of content i think on on the channels in terms of drumming up you know excitement in the tour um throughout the year or do you think it's just going to stay as a kind of a flash in the pan talking point you know at the start of the season what do you think kim can it be a big three well i think big three is way like getting ahead of ahead of themselves (laughs) i can understand from a marketing perspective but if you compare it to the the big three like they're, they're nowhere near mm. and I think it's just premature to even try and lump them all together so if I was Krachikova I'd kind of be like well there there isn't really a big three anyway on the women's side at the moment there might be I'm not saying that none of these players is, are gonna become you know great like, I'm not saying they're not gonna become mm. great but I feel like it's a bit premature to be lumping them together like they are the current top you know three players arguably however do we need to have a categorization like this? Is it serving a particular purpose? But maybe that is a marketing ploy. Um, <laughs> I agree with you, Are we talking Shviontek? Do you agree with me? Oh, I thank do. you. Yes. That means yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking of Shviontek, people may be wondering 
where she is in terms of the Miami tournament. She had to withdraw with a rib injury, um, unfortunately. She's also going to miss the Billie Jean King Cup next month. So we don't actually have a return date uh, yet for her. But yeah, she's uh, been feeling quite a bit of discomfort and pain and could not compete in the tournament, which is uh, a shame. And we wish we wish her all the best um, coming back onto the tour. Another player as well, talking of injury, Bianca Andreescu, um, definitely no stranger to injury and was doing so well in this tournament. Yeah. Had had some great wins over Raducanu, Zachary, Kenin, but had a really unfortunate incident in her last match against um, Alexandra um, to her ankle. She sort of turned her ankle and had to retire kind of immediately. Um, Chris, I know you're a big Bianca Andreescu fan. Uh she again doesn't really know um the results from all the, I guess all the scans she's had, but she's probably gonna be out for a while, we we might think. And what a you know, horrible setback again for, for her with her uh well, with her career. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's devastating. Um I think there's been an awful lot of people uh, who are very sad to see this happen because she's one of those players who we've talked about so much who has so much potential. She's such a great all-court game and she brings so much to the tennis court. And when you see her kind of putting it together, um, it is a reminder that, you know, she is a player of real pedigree. That year in uh, 2019, she won um, in Canada. She won the 1000. She also won um, Indian Wells and she won a slam so it just shows when she's fit what she can do and I think she felt for kind of the first time in a while that she really was able to to track that top 10 um, and to try and get back up there because that was her goal when we spoke to her at the Billie Jean King Cup so um, it's a player that just has had so much bad luck and I think it kind of speaks to the fact there are a lot of parallels with Raducanu in terms of teenagers who won the US Open who unfortunately have just been so unlucky when it comes to injuries and um, the only positive that we can say from this is that although she did describe it as the worst pain she's ever felt, um, she still doesn't know how serious it is. And so it could be something that felt very painful in that moment, um, but it didn't look like she necessarily fully rolled it. Um, so she's waiting on the results of the scans. Um, but I think the whole of kind of the tennis community is just uh, very much gutted for her in this sense. It's like... Um, similar to what we'll be talking about a bit later on with Del Potro, just to play who can't catch a break. Who's won the US Open? Yeah, yeah. it reminded me of the you know, Zverev uh, injury that we saw at Roland Garros, who sort of suddenly went over and seemed very, very painful. But um, form, hopefully, though. well, exactly. Yeah, it always happens when they're playing super mm. well, doesn't it? Which is sod's law. I feel like that's the worry as well, because, you know, we see, I, I keep thinking about like Dominic Team, and, you know, these players get an injury and then, they come back and and obviously the scary thing is like will they ever get back to where they were and you know I think unfortunately Dominic Team's probably the most clear and obvious example of that at the moment and you know I see this happen to Bianca Andrescu and I think I, I don't want to think about it but I hope it's going to be more like an Alexander Zverev kind of getting back to to where it is as opposed to you know Dominic Team. but you just I guess you just don't know whether you know how players come back and whether they're going to be the same and takes longer Joel doesn't it it's taking yeah. longer I feel than it, you know when players like Nadal for example I mean obviously he's a superhuman but when players like him mm. sort of came back and then they pick up these results I think for a lot of yeah. people it takes a very long time you know it can take a couple of seasons to get back to the same sort of level and form that you were at um, and you can't really take any of that for granted I genuinely think just because how competitive both tours are being unseeded in these 
uh, in these events. Um, I know, I know. Obviously, Bianca's you know her ranking hasn't necessarily warranted a, a seed for for a while, but just being unseeded in these draws, it and you you know you're out and you could get like the top seed in in the first round. It just makes it so much harder, and I think that has kind of come on since maybe like a, a decade ago where, you know, maybe the, the draw and the quality and the depth wasn't as great, but now it's just so tough and so competitive straight off the bat with a, you know, a protected ranking, for example, that I do think it does, it does take longer to get back to a more protected position when you are seeded, when you might get buys that it makes it a little bit easier. So yeah, I do think there's a, you know, there's always that nervousness and I think that tension when it looks like someone might be out for a, for a long-term injury. Yeah. Well, as a result of Andrescu um, retiring, Alexandra made her way through. She'll face Kvitova in that quarterfinal and then the winner of that will play Serana Kostea. In the top half of the women's draw, we still have Elena Rabakina, uh, Indian Wells champion, going uh, through. She's had some comfortable matches, but also some some tougher three-set matches. But um her last match, yeah, against Trevisan, uh, very, very comfortable. Uh, Martina Trevisan, of course, famous for reaching the Roland Garros <laughs> semi-finals, semi-finals last year. I swear she is the most hated whip player on the women's tour. Or like, there is That's no love. That's a bit love. harsh, Joel. There's there is no, no love. What's she ever there done to no you? There is no love towards Martina Trevisan, I swear, you in tennis Italians, Twitter communities. Joel doing so well and getting to quarterfinals and semifinals at a Grand Slam. I feel like she's always talked about, is she the worst Grand Slam semifinalist of all you, time? That's you, Joel, that's talking um, about that. You are you the source of this hate, I think. I I'm, think that's, not, I'm not the source. You're just for, uh, oh, throwing honestly. fuel onto the fire. I think it's um, more, I'm more surprised. I think none of us can make sense of it. On a fast hardcore, taking mm. out Ostapenko, 6-3-6-3, I think that really caused waves. Um... Did anyone see that coming? <laughs> I think it just sent everyone into meltdown, to, to be honest. I think it's more that we maybe. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of um, Ostapenko fans <laughs> out there who just couldn't make sense as to how this could possibly um, have happened. But then order mm. was restored. So I think anyone, as you say, Joel, who wasn't thrilled with her doing well at this tournament, that bagel set from Rebecca would have put her sort of firmly back in her place in that sense. Um, one fun fact I wanted to, to point out from Rebecca so far that she has emulated a feat by um, the great Serena Williams in the fact that she has served 10 aces in consecutive match, four consecutive matches. And that's the first time since the US Open in 2020 that a player has done that in the same tournament. I mean, you, f- you feel like... You feel like these court, this court surface is made for the slightly quicker. It's made for the aces. But I do, I, you know, I was, I know, I was reading. You know, she has obviously come back off winning Indian Wells, and I think there's been a little bit of. She's a little bit fatigued. You know, she's not playing. I feel the levels of tennis we, or not yet anyway. I feel we saw in Indian Wells. I mean, you know, she had to save match points against, um, you know, in, against Bedosa. You know, she was taken to three sets by Kalin Skyer, but I think it's great to see her like sort of these really gritty victories, I think, where, yes, she is serving aces, but I don't think her first serve percentage has been ne- not it's necessarily where low. she wants it yeah. to be. Yeah. So I think there's there's potential there, but, you know, she's got Jessica Pagula next. I think she's probably going to have to raise those levels in order to, again, have a potential course to being a Sunshine Double champion. 
Yeah, because JPEG, Jessie Pagula, she struggled through against uh, Potapova in the in the last round, saving two match points. Yeah, um, she did really well to win that. I think one thirty in the morning as well. I think it was a uh, very late, very late finish. It was very late and it prompts the question, Joel. Um, she put out a point of view tweet um, of her at 2am having just won 7-6 in the third set saying her arm was cramping trying to brush through her hair. Now, the last time she did one of these uh, tweets with a bag of Doritos yes. at midnight, you very kindly replicated that. So does this mean we're going to see a photo of you in the I mirror you gonna, doing your I hair? Knew, your hair I is looking you very messy. It could be in need of a brush, It Joel. has been. I, I do think it does need a, it does need a, a haircut. But um, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying Jessica Pagula on... I feel like she's smashing social media at the moment with these sort of candid life on tour photos that it's not all cracked up to be and this is i feel like this is the next one in in the series of that um yeah because uh yeah it was a great win but yeah the rain i think was a nightmare i mean the rain has just not been great i feel through miami this week especially with no roof it's just it's been a bit of a situation i think that they might need to to look at in the future they've had a lot of power cuts as well i think one of the reasons they mm. moved sites was because of power failure um, over at the last um, last venue and they've had a few times um, on the live stream for those of people who've been watching where it's fully been cut out which is quite um, quite an unusual thing um, at, at these this day and age so I think there has to be some questions about is this the perfect is this not not tennis paradise is what I'd say that's for sure no Oh, not not in a baseball stadium in a retrofitted Half of baseball, a baseball stadium. stadium it's it doesn't look i get that it probably cuts money and it, it makes the most of existing infrastructure but uh it doesn't it's, it's not the just best ugly is half a stadium it's ugly mm. yeah yeah and let's look at the men's results from miami so far we're at the quarterfinal stage uh, Carlos Alcaraz doing uh, very nicely so far through the tournament hasn't dropped a set he'll be playing Taylor Fritz though uh, so I'm sure he'll have a slightly tougher test to come um, not really going to talk about Alcaraz's tennis too much because he's been in pretty good shape. Um, I love the fact that he did a, uh, paid homage to Fernando Alonso on the, the camera after his last victory um, Oh I didn't see that yeah, he's been inspired by Alonso, who uh, sent him a message, uh, I think, uh, okay. on Instagram. And uh, obviously, Alonso's got off to a cracking start in the Formula One. So I, I liked that. The two, two you know, top Spanish sportsmen uh, showing a bit of love to each other. Um, so yeah, Alcaraz Fritz, that'd be an interesting one because they've both been in good form. Um, and... In that other section, though, of the draw, we've got Yannick Sinner also in good form. Uh, could be on for an Alcaraz Sinner repeat mm. in the semi-final, perhaps. Uh, but I guess it's a rogue element to the quarterfinal lineup here is Emil Rusevori. Uh, he has come through the bit of the draw that Kasper Ruud uh, and Sasha Zverev um, were kind of occupying. Um, Kasper Ruud doesn't really have much mojo at the moment, does he? He's his struggles continue. Uh, he lost to Botic van der Zandschulp. And yeah, Zverev, Joel, um, your prediction. He <laughs> yeah, lost to Taro Daniel, better. love and four. Uh, no, that was <laughs> any bad. comments on that? Any, yeah. any yeah, Joel, I repeat, by Taro you Daniel. had him to take out Carlos Alcaraz. I repeat. Yeah, it's not it's not gone well, but um, yeah, Rusevori, very, very good. Very good uh, showing from him so far. I suspect maybe Yannick Sinner will get the better of him I was very mm. impressed with Sinner's performance against Rublev I think him and Darren Cahill are 
I actually think they're a match made in heaven. I think they're working really, really well together. And Sinner put on a, dare I say, a near complete performance, I think, against Rublev. We know he likes playing in, in Miami. I think he's reached the quarterfinals here every time he's played it. He's been in the final here against Hubert Hercage. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how he does because, you know, he had obviously suffered a little blip, I feel, last season. But he's kind of making these small incremental gains now that um, should get him back, you know, back into the top 10. And who knows, maybe even further. In watching that match, John, it does feel a little bit like Sinner was the world number six, not the world number mm. sort of 10 in that match. And, um, in the sense that Rublev kind of was very much the, the second, um, well, looked like the lower ranked player in that match. And I feel like it would be great to have sort of Sinner right up there in the mix when it comes to some of the players, because... It does feel like he's a form player and we've got players like Sitsipas who are injured. We've got Casper who hasn't been able to put the form together. Um, and it just kind of, and actually Felix hasn't really had the form that he had at the end of last season. So we've almost got like the form players, then we've got the top 10. And I think that maybe they're not quite marrying up at the moment when it comes to these big tournaments. Mm, yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I think that's a, f- a fair supposition. Um, I, I think Sinner will get the better of Rusevori. Interesting fact about Rusevori, he collects watches uh, in his spare time. So um, I assume he'll never be late to a match because he <laughs> damn know well know when he needs to that, be there. That makes a lot of sense because on his Twitter, he's always saying exactly what time his match will be on court. <laughs> so maybe that's his he thing. He must be into uh, watches and, and time. Maybe he should go on the, uh, the Swiss train with Federer does, does that mean when punctual. he you know, wins a when he wins a tournament rather than just get out the one watch you know like Rafa does gets out like the road he's just going to get out like 10 watches An on armful. his wrist yeah <laughs> a Casio that, on yeah. there oh, quite yeah. possibly a baby G. like a watch dealer look at all <laughs> <Yes>. my watches <laughs> oh, in the bottom half of the draw we've got two kind of surprise elements as well well actually one maybe isn't a surprise Francisco Serendolo is into the quarterfinals oh, Kim, he will play... that is a surprise that is a surprise it's not Joel he got to the semi-finals <laughs> here last year which I had completely forgotten but I just was sort of having a look and I was like oh he must love the courts in Miami because he's gone deep two years in a row now mm. um much to the yeah surprise of of everyone um but yeah, I, I don't. He's got Karen Hatchinov next, um, who came through against Sitsipas in the last round, um, and this is significant for Karen Hatchinov, isn't it? Um, would you like to tell us why, Joel? <laughs> I know you're a big fan of yeah. this. Yeah, uh, I mean, this, stat. this this to me was in, an incredible stat. Karen Hatchinov uh, was zero and twenty three against top 10 opponents before he faced Stefanos Sitsipas in Miami, and he's now obviously broken that duck, but. A real, um, yeah, not a stat you want, particularly that for a player who's... shocking. Yeah, really, really shocking. It just That to me just screams, that's your level and you've reached your, your limit. Um, really, really honestly. Um, but, you know, he's had obviously some good results. Um, he's had some good results in the first kind of quarter of, of the year. Um, I still take it with a pinch of salt though, because Stefanos Sissipas, I still feel like he's playing injured and he's not at, his best and to me this was a little bit not like catching off playing like lights out tennis to defeat Sissipas in straights I feel like there's mitigating circumstances that that meant yeah catching off was the favorite and Sissipas was having a bit of a whinge about um having to play whilst he's injured uh, and the rules of the ATP uh requiring players to to turn up for events even 
you know, and forcing them to play a certain amount per year. Um, I'm not so sure on the on the rules on this. To, to be fair, I'm going to be completely honest. I know that there there are rules around you have to play a certain amount, but I would have thought if you're genuinely injured and couldn't play, a doctor's note would kind of excuse you. But I mean. What, what what are the actual rules around this? Do we know? That is completely factually accurate, Kim. I can tell you that the ATP mandatory Masters 1000 rules... Oh, here we go. That... Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's but... getting the rules Hang on, out. No, sorry. I, yeah, it, I'm going to sleep already. My eyes are fading. I'll, I'll do this one quickly. <laughs> um, stick with us, <laughs> listeners. Um, it states that if a player does not participate in one of the mandatory Masters 1000 tournaments, their best result from any of the Masters 1000 tournaments from the previous year is removed from their ranking calculation. Um, but this is where it this is where it gets the key point here is the fact that if a player is injured, they can apply for a medical exemption. Um, they just have to provide medical documentation to support their injury or illness and gain approval from the ATP's medical services team. So all of this points to the fact that Sitsipas is not going to be um, kind of penalised for this. I think he's trying to play a bit of a martyr role in this by playing injured and making it clear that he isn't fit. You have to question, um, one, is he as injured as he says he is? Because if he could be doing further damage, surely his doctor would recommend that he didn't play. Um, And two, why is he misrepresenting the rules in this way? Um, and the final thing for those of our listeners who are still with us, um, we are now risk losing all of us, but there is also a rule that's quite interesting that um, if you've played 600 matches on the tour or played for 12 years on the tour or you're over 31, you do qualify for a reduction of Masters 1000 in your commitment. So there are exceptions there too. And that's also why players like Nadal and players who've been around for a long time don't get deductions for not playing them. So um, whichever way you look at it, um, it's not necessarily easier for people who are like more senior or more experienced because you are able to get a doctor's note. So no one should be playing injured. Yeah. So it seemed a bit woe is me really uh, with his comments. That would be the short uh, answer, Kim. Yes. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your explanation though, for clearing that up. It was a bit odd. I think, you know, he's got obviously Monte Carlo coming up where he's defending champion and you'd want to be as fit and firing as possible for that. So if he was injured, then, you know, I feel like you would have wanted to just be like, right, I just want to get ready for the clay season when I've got big points to defend as opposed to just kind of trying to struggle through on the, you know, in the hard courts in America. Yeah, because he would lose the Masters result from being defending champion in Monte Carlo. regardless. So I guess he wants to play in Monte Carlo. So maybe that's the thing that he can't avoid is that if you skip these ones, then you'll get penalised in Monte Carlo. So maybe Mm. that is the crux of it. Ooh. Oh, it's confusing. Um, but we don't have Sitspas in the tournament anymore. Karen Hatchinov will be playing Francisco Serendolo. And on the other quarterfinal on that side, we've got Daniel Medvedev uh, making his way through. And Chris Eubanks, uh, American qualifier, um, who's now in the top 100 for the first time. Uh, what do we know about Chris Eubanks? I've, I've heard the name. I've seen it in draws, but I'm not too familiar with him. Um Joel, you're nodding your head yes. as, as I'm saying this. I, you know, I've been. I can't. I just can't help but um, you know get caught up in his in his story. Um, you know, he's been a player who's you know been around. He's been around on the challenger circuit. He was around on the college circuit, and you know the impression I get from his interviews um, 
and his kind of his story is that he's never been the best in his category. He's always been sort of middle of the middle of the uh, middle of the road, and um, he's just applied himself very, very well. And um, you know, it's it's really kind of come to the fore. I feel in Miami, he came through the qualifying draw. I think his dad said to him, "Look, just get this. It'll be a great achievement if you can just hit one, you know, round one match." But yeah, he's now into the the quarterfinals against Medvedev. He's a very tall player. I think he's like six foot seven. Big serve on him which obviously I think helps on these types of courts, playing in front of your home fans as well. And I really, really enjoyed in the match against Manorino. Again, it was uh, disrupted by rain break. And he had a little pep talk from his mate, uh, Francis Tiafo in the changing rooms. And uh, when, I, when I heard that, I was just like, there's probably no better player to give a pep talk, I feel. A fellow countryman pep talk than a, a Francis Tiafo giving you some some advice and some encouragement. So, um, yeah, he seems to have, I think, like the support of, you know, all, all the players kind of around him. And, uh, yeah, it's just great to see him, I think, you know, get to the quarterfinals and realise his potential and get into the top 100 because he came so close to it, I think, a, a, a while ago. I think he really 102, peaked at like I think. 102. Yeah. That must be Ooh. so frustrating. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So to see him do this and and come through is yeah, it's fantastic. Is he taking out Medvedev, Joel? Make another prediction. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't note. see it. Yeah. I mean, Medvedev has had a very, very, very easy draw. I mean, as I say, I feel like Miami has been a lot of shocks. Players just not continually doing well, particularly in this section. Berrettini's had a rough start to the year with injury, not great results. Um, you know, Dimonor was expecting a little bit more from Cam Norrie as well, going out to uh, Barrera of, of France. Um, John bon so yeah, Eubanks. <laughs> he wanted to get back to John Bon Jovi's uh, house, right? Um, no, but um, yeah, Eubanks obviously made the most of that, but so has Medvedev. And you've got to feel with Medvedev, He's had a walkover and two very, very run-of-the-mill matches. He will be heavy favourite. And on that note, we're going to be taking a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing Del Potro earmarking a comeback at the US Open, uh, the group stages for the Davis Cup finals uh, being announced, and we're looking ahead to the rest of the Miami Open and revising some of our predictions from last week, perhaps. So do not go anywhere. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to, I think, a par for the courts this week. We've had a couple of mysterious players in your absence, Joel. Mm. But I think 
you've returned and you've got something quite tricky up your sleeve for me and Chris. Is that right? Yes, the return. The return of me and the return of Path for the Courts. And yes. competition. Um, for you and our listeners. Yeah, like Kim, again, as so always. You always win, Chris. As always, I'm trying to fix it so you actually beat Chris because I feel like it's just oh, getting thanks. boring now. Um, and uh, we need to we need to liven it up. So um, yeah, it is a it is a path for the courts. And the the subject in mind for you and our listeners is players who have achieved the sunshine double. And by that, I mean have won Indian Wells and Miami in a row. So consecutively, none of this like in their career, but in a row, yes. And to help you and our listeners, because I know it's quite tricky, there are 11 players in total across the ATP and WTA tours. And I'm going to give you the year and the gender that it was achieved. So if you want to jot this down, listeners want to jot this down as well. So, right, I'm going to start with the men. So, male, 1991. Male, 1992. Male, 1994, 1998, 2001. And then a player did it on three occasions in 05, 06, and 17. This is like bingo. I know, I know. I feel like I'm a bingo announcer. And then for the women, uh, we've got uh, one female player did it in 94 and 96. We had a female player do it in 2005. We had a female player do, out, do it in 2016. And we had a player do it in 2022. So there's seven right. male players, okay. four women players... I feel that there should be some obvious answers there, but there also, I feel like, some tricky answers. We are going to get all 11 this time. It's a team effort. Oh, I don't know about that. Should we... Um, right, should we kick off without further ado? I feel ado? like Chris is so arrogant and full of it that he... He will he can to, go first? He can go first. So you're going to give me the player and which and which year... Oh. Which year you think it, it matches up to? I will go for... Uh, Victoria Azarenka, 2016. Correct. Yes. Oh, wow. That is a correct answer. Then she had okay. a baby. Uh, that's not even the easiest one. No, I was. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, Novak Djokovic, who I think did the 11, 14, 15 and 16 in the men's. Correct. Yes, that is right. Uh, yeah, Novak Djokovic done it four times out in front. Um, I will go for Kim Clijsters, 2005. Correct answer. Yes, Kim Clijsters back in 2005. Oh, I was going to say something completely different for that one. Um, so that's good. Uh, Iga Svantec, 2022. Correct. Yes, Iga Svantec, the most recent player to do it but who knows maybe Rabakina or Carlos Alcaraz could join that list very very soon I will go for another 2005 I'll go for Roger Federer correct yes so Roger Federer did it three times 2005 2006 and 2017 damn it I was about to say him this is the stuff we're I getting don't into now. the business end now <laughs> this is where it gets tricky oh, this is just guesswork now um Andre Agassi uh, 
I, I will I get it right if I don't get the year correct? Because I'm kind of assuming he did it in maybe like '98. Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi, 1998. Mm. Kim, it's a wrong answer. Oh, it's no. It's a wrong answer. <laughs> no, that's not correct. Chris wins it with three correct answers to Kim's two. Sorry, Kim. Um, I will say Andre Agassi is a correct answer, but you got the year wrong. Chris, any ideas? I would have gone 2001. Yes, Andrew Agassi was in two thousand and one. Um, any any other any other answers? Oh, so close. I I know I, I know that uh, Steffi won in ninety four and ninety six. That is correct. Yes, Steffi Graf. And then after that, the only other guess I have would be ninety four for the men Pete Zampras. And then after that, I out. <laughs> yes, Pete Sampras was 1994. Um, and then you could have had, so 1998, probably the most surprising name, Marcelo Rios. Goodness. Ooh. There was no way we were getting all 11, Kim. <laughs> mm. No way. <laughs> and then 1991 and 1992, both Americans. Any ideas? Michael Chang? Very good, Kim. Yes, Michael Chang was in 1992 and 1991. An American player we hear a lot when we watch tennis on the television. Jim Courier. Jim Courier. Jim Courier did the Sunshine Double in 1991. So that's that's your lot. Uh, Courier, Chang, Sampras, Rios, Agassi, Federer, Djokovic, Graf, Kleisters, Azarenka and Sviantec. Well, well, well. That was tough, Joel, having to, to get the year as well. But I liked it. It was a good challenge. I hope the listeners, uh, I hope you all uh, enjoyed taking part as well. Uh, definitely learned some new things. Um, we do have a, a very uh, thoughtful mailbag question this week as well from Saif Shaheen on email. Uh, so Saif has got in contact, thank you very much for doing so, um, to ask us about um, hard courts. And I think this stems from kind of um, a lot of comments around the courts from the likes of Daniel Medvedev. Um, he said that some pundits and former players have argued that hard courts are the purest or truest courts because they are neutral, unlike grass and clay. Uh, how can this be true when hard courts themselves vary so much and different hard courts favour different players and playing styles? Can hard be the truest surface when there is no one standard or true hard court? Now, I think that's a very thought-provoking question. Um, and I think they've got some excellent points. Um, Joel, kick us off. What, what do you think about this this question that we've we've that's been posed to us about the courts? It's a really interesting one, especially when we talk about it at the moment, but going from Indian Wells to Miami, because the contrast between the two, yeah, or yes, on the face of it, they are both hard courts, but Indian Wells so slow, whereas Miami is a lot quicker. And I do. I do like to think in my personally growing up, having been a player, you know, in, in you know, growing up, I, I do genuinely see hardcore as like the equalizer around the world. I feel like it's the only court surface you genuinely could get in, in any country in the world. Unlike, you know, maybe a grass court um, or like, or clay, for example. Um, but I still feel like, yeah, it's like an imperfect, it's, it's, it's still imperfect to me of think of it, thinking about it as a as a kind of a true or kind of purist kind of court because there's just so many different variables at, at play 
um, you know, with regards to kind of the weather, you know, even the, the tennis balls. Um, it just feels like, yeah, there's too many factors at play that it's hard to standardise, I think, and collectivise every single hardcore on the tour uh, to kind of one common denominator. And I think that's the tricky thing we are raising more and more at the moment. Um, so for me, I would still say, yeah, growing up se- sentimentally, I, I do see hardcore as like the the equaliser or the kind of the purest sense given its coverage around the world. But I acknowledge that it's almost imperfect because there are just too many variables at stake. Mm, yeah, interesting one. F- for me, I, I'm going to pose before I go to you, Chris, um, grass courts, are they not maybe the truest surface just because they're the mo- most historic and came mm. about before the other surfaces? So would, would grass not actually be considered mm. like the original surface? I guess it depends where you're kind of brought up and play tennis and all of that. Um, but I would agree that maybe we should just not think about any sort of court as being like the default when they're all so different but Chris what, what do you think well I hate uh, kind of I'm gone to the history books for this answer <laughs> um, not the rule books at least I know another book's in front of me and interestingly um, the original court would have probably have been um, stone um, dating back to the 11th century when monks um, used to play sort of a handball version of tennis. Stone court around stone the not, But that does feel particularly pure. And then it became real tennis, which was obviously on a hard court. So um, it wasn't actually um, until uh, the 18th century that field tennis or grass court tennis was introduced. So the original tennis would have oh, been I was wrong then. On, a, on a hard court, wood or stone. Um, I don't really think that we would like to mix it up with a, a wood or a stone court. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the tennis that we know today, um, field tennis, grass would have been the original. So um, I'll give you I'll give you that one, Kim. But for me, I think the, the neutral court is hard courts. The purest court in my mind is a grass court um, because it, it grows from the ground. You know, there's nothing done to it apart from you get um, mm, your lawnmower out and make sure you've got it the right length. Well, I'm sure there's a bit more to it. We had the Wimbledon groundsman on once uh, who I'm sure would disagree that it wasn't just a bit of a mow and a, <laughs> just you know, a bit of turf in go. case it goes wrong, <laughs> you know, patch it up. Chris, I've uh, just I've just thought if 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 like as unlikely as it is, if stone does come back as a surface, there needs to be some sort of stone Stevens. Uh, stone Stevens. <laughs> um, that that is... just has to happen. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> that I mean, it's got to happen. Um, oh. And can she be the only player that enters so that she can win it for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sai, for your question. That's a very interesting one. And uh, yeah, do keep them coming. We'd love to hear everyone's uh, thoughts and questions. Uh, so thank you very much. Sabalenka, paving slab. Could also be playing in that one. Oh, I love that. Slabalenka. Stone Seasons versus Arena Slabalenka. Wow, love that. Listeners, if you've got any more concrete stone puns of tennis players, share them them our way on social. Pave Gula. Oh my God, Chris. I had to think who you meant for a minute. (laughs) That's a sign it's not a good one, isn't it, Kim? (laughs) Oh, right. Um, Where were we? Del Potro. He's coming out of retirement, apparently. Uh, You know, he used to like a hardcore. Won the US Open in 2009. Retired 
earlier this year, last year? I think it was last year now. But he said that or he's going to he? resume training. Or did he? Did he just evolve to another yeah. stage and now he's unevolving <laughs> back to tennis? I don't know. But what, what do you think about this? Is this, is this kind of... I know, Joel, you, you get a bit frustrated. You think players should just give up yeah. and not kind of keep trying to I don't want to see him back. I, I might... I know I'm probably in the minority here. I don't want to see him back. I just think it'll be... It'll just be sad. I think, yeah, it'll, emotionally, it, it sounds great. Um, but to see him come back on and, you know, play someone that I would see, like, you know, Prime Del Pocho would just absolutely wipe the floor with you know at, at flushing meadows and then you know lose like meekly like two three and three or, or something um it's i just don't and I, I just don't feel like we see how hard it is to come back it's just going to be i just think it's going to be too tough for del potro so i'm i'm and I'm, and you know with his body as well i'm just like i just i just feel like just give it up just give it up sorry just give it up yeah I, I kind of agree. He had so many difficulties and I think the peop- the reason players retire is because it ca- they kind of can't take it anymore. So, but maybe they just need a bit of time away, but I just feel like he went through so much. It's probably, oh, I don't know. I mean, I wish him all the best of it, but I'm kind of in agreement to be honest. Hmm. It's not going to be a comeback though, is it? I think he kind of said that, you know, if he's able to pick up a racket, he would love to be able to yeah. to do it. But it's not as mm. easy as that. And I think we've seen that for players who have tried no. to come back without sort of the, the form initially, like Serena, when she started the, her, her most recent comeback, it did take a little while for her to kind of peak at the US Open. So I'm probably not an advocate of someone just picking up a racket and turning up at the US Open um, because you have to play... You have to pay yourself back into form. We've talked about the difficulties for players who have been playing much more recently and then get injured. Uh, I think his last match was in sort of February 2022 or something like that. It was a long time ago. Um, and that was a pretty sort of run-of-the-mill loss. So um, I think it is sometimes it, it's obviously difficult to um, to walk away from something. But he has had sort of a farewell in front of his home crowd. Um, and I think potentially dragging it out might not be the most kind of... Um, the most positive experience for fans or him alike. We'll see how it goes. Um, Some exciting news for British tennis fans, though. We've uh, had the announcement that Manchester are going to be hosting, uh, well, they're going to be one of the host cities for the 2023 Davis Cup in September from the 12th to the 17th, uh, which is very exciting. We're going to be hosting Group B, uh, where Australia, Great Britain, France and Switzerland will be competing. Uh, Bologna, Valencia and Croatia are also hosting um, and the finals will be in Malaga in November. So uh, quite exciting. Um, The groups have been unveiled as well. We know that Spain and Serbia are in the same group in Valencia. Uh, I think it's quite unlikely though we're going to see a Rafa against Novak matchup given that it's right after the US Open. Um, Also, uh, there's been travel issues potentially for, for Canada, Team Canada. They're supposed to be in Bologna, but this comes right after the US Open and right before the Labour Cup in Vancouver, which starts right after. So if the likes of FAA and Denis Shapovalov want to be doing uh, both events, potentially all three, depending on how they do at the US Open, might be a lot of back and forth travel. Um, so we'll have to see how the scheduling works for that. But exciting that uh, it's in Manchester Chris and Joel, are you going to try and perhaps go up to uh, to Manchester and get a bit of Davis Cup action, perhaps? Yeah. I was thinking Valencia could be nice, no? Valencia, yeah. Or Malaga in November. That that sounds quite nice to me. To be honest, I was just actually thinking when you said Labour Cup, Denis Shapovalov, I think the, the sort of 
elephant in the room question is I don't think Dennis Shapovalov's form at the moment <laughs> warrants la- yeah. Labour Cup. I think it you know, would have last season, but it doesn't feel like at the moment it's it's really clicking for him. That's another one, Dennis Slabavalov. That could, that could work. <laughs> anyway, uh, this, this could get old very quickly. Um, let's have a look at uh, the rest of Miami because we do have the latter stages of the tournament. Um, Chris, you predicted uh, an Alcaraz and a Rabakina win. Uh, Joel, you predicted a uh, Medvedev and Rabakina win. Do you both think those are still going to happen given what we've seen so far? I think yes. that mine are going to happen, that's for sure. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Medvedev's <laughs> final was a- anywhere <laughs> accurate. But I, I really do think we could get a repeat of the way the draw has gone. It, it just feels like it's falling into place for another Medvedev-Alcaraz rematch. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to go with Medvedev, although I do, I have been impressed with how well Alcaraz has been able to kind of sustain the level he is playing. So aggressive, and actually, I right? feel like he's... Yeah, I feel like he's actually gone up a gear um, in in Miami. So, so um, yeah, I'm expecting to see a repeat of the final there. But um, I've still got Medvedev as champ. Who did you have for this one, Kim? I had Alcaraz, uh, which I still agree with, and I had Sabalenka. But obviously, I'm going to have to go for Rybakina. I think now that Sabalenka's just uh, lost today, uh, I think Rusevori's just stepped on court. Can't see him wearing a watch though, so uh, disappointing. I don't know, yeah, he doesn't know what time of day it is at the moment, but um, <laughs> on that note, we'll be back next week, uh, promptly, I hope. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back to round up what, what does happen in, in Miami. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from Miami and the ATP and WTA tours. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Or you can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for another episode looking back on the finals action to come at the Miami Open. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.